Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series, The Love Languages of God. What have you saved to the cloud? Or is it that we are saved by the cloud? Join us for the message, Loving Through Witness. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. So I ask you, what have you saved to the cloud? Or is it that we are saved by the cloud? We'll be talking about that later in our message, Loving Through Witness. If you have not done so uh, already this week, I invite you to make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or by simply writing a check and mailing it to the church office. And now for the word of our Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. Yet, all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. There is a scene toward the end of the fourth Harry Potter film. And yes, I'm going to use an illustration from Harry Potter. I know not everyone is a fan, but this is just such a good illustration that I couldn't resist. But there is a scene at the end of the fourth Harry Potter film where Harry is having a wand battle with the evil Lord Voldemort while in a darkened graveyard. And as there are two wands of Harry and Voldemort, as they connect, you see the ephemeral forms of the last several people who have been murdered by Voldemort suddenly appear. And these forms include the forms of Harry's deceased parents. And together, these forms create a kind of a protective bubble around Harry. And his mother and father tell Harry that they'll be able to protect him from Voldemort for just a few moments, just enough time for him to escape, which he is then able to do. And then toward the end of the eighth film, Harry's parents once again appear to him right before he goes to confront Voldemort in the dark forest. And Harry, when he sees them, asks them, 
why are you here? His mother replies, we never left. Later he asks, you'll stay with me? His father responds, until the end. And right before leaving them, Harry enjoins, stay close to me, to which his mother replies, always. The first time I saw either one of these scenes, uh, the first thing I thought of was that verse from Hebrews that Connie just read. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, just like Harry Potter, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, while this is always true, All Saints Sunday is the day in the Christian calendar when we commemorate this great truth by remembering all those who have gone before, and especially those who have died in the last year since our last All Saints Sunday. Their lives are a witness to their faith, and they make our faith possible. We would know nothing, nothing of Christ if living witnesses had not taken the time to show us the face of Christ. Now, for most of us, these faith witnesses included our parents, but they can be almost anyone, Sunday school teachers, pastors, other relatives, friends, even strangers, and we literally owe these witnesses our faith. We're now on our fourth week of exploring the love of God, neighbor, and self through the lens of the vows that we make when we publicly profess our faith at our confirmation. And among those sacred vows we make, we include this, As a member of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And these five things, prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, are ways that we express our love and faithfulness, not only to the church, but directly to God as well. And each week we've been examining one of these vows and then making a connection between one of these vows and one of the five love languages that are found in the book entitled The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. And if you're familiar with this book, you know that the premise is that different actions can make different individuals feel the most loved and valued. In our first week, we explore what the author calls words of encouragement, that is verbal expressions of love and appreciation, and we connected that then with the vow of prayer. In the second week, we looked at the love language known as quality time. You know, some people feel the most loved and valued when someone spends quality, uh, significant amounts of quality time with their undivided attention. And we connected that love language then with the vow of presence. And then last week, we examined the love language of receiving tangible gifts, and then we connected it to the vow that we make of gifts. Well, now the next vow in the series is service. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. But since today is All Saints Sunday, we decided to flip the order of the last two vows of service and witness because we felt that the vow of witness just so neatly fit in with the theme of All Saints Sunday and, and how we're always surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, so far, it's not been difficult to link up one of the vows of one of the love languages. Prayer was linked with words of encouragement. Presence was linked with quality time. In a very obvious parallel, 
We uh, link the, excuse me, the vow of gifts with the love language of receiving gifts. And next week, it'll be very apparent when we link the vow of service with the love language of acts of service. But I have to admit, this week's link with the vow of witness is going to be a little bit more of a stretch. Because you see, the fifth love language is physical touch. Some people feel the most loved and valued when they receive just frequent everyday acts of physical affection from their loved ones. Because as you well know, we human beings crave physical touch. We know that infants and children who are deprived of adequate physical touch will experience just all kinds of developmental deficiencies. And though their individual needs may vary, adults too need regular loving touch for us to experience a real sense of well-being. We crave physical touch at the same time that sometimes we may cringe at it. Physical touch that is not loving is going to decrease our sense of well-being. And the whole area of physical touch can be touchy. <laughs> a touch that claims to be innocent may really be a form of harassment or even abuse. And a touch that is truly meant innocently can be misinterpreted, resulting in misunderstandings and hurt feelings. And these things have always been true, but then you add COVID to that whole mix, and it really just becomes very confusing when to decide when touch is or is not beneficial or when it is or is not even welcome. But I think this confusion doesn't take away from the fact that human beings need some level of physical affection. And I think one of the reasons that so many of us desire to share our love with our pets is because we relate to them primarily through touch. They provide an endless supply of physical affection, and they can also demand an endless supply of physical affection, though for our cats it's always going to be on their terms. <laughs> Think about how Jesus used, though, also used physical touch in his ministry. He often healed others by some means of physical touch, even, even touching lepers who may not have felt the touch of another human being for years. And I think in one of the gospel's most poignant scenes, we see as Jesus washes the feet of his disciples on that very last night of his earthly life that he spends with them. And then later on, one of those disciples, Thomas, my favorite disciple, by the way, I'll do, I'll do a sermon on him someday, but Thomas refuses to believe in the resurrection until he can see and touch the wounds of Christ for himself. And then later in the epistle of James, that writer recommends that the elders of the church anoint the sick with oil. And still the church conducts ministry with, uh, to others through touch and the laying on of hands. So I think despite all the potential pitfalls and the issues that we may have surrounding physical touch, we as the church must still strive to retain appropriate touch as part of our ministry. I'll never forget something I read many years ago. Some people, some people are just more reserved with physical touch, and for those types of people, they may not like a service that includes the passing of the peace. I don't know if it's still this way at Perkins School of Theology, but when I was there in the chapel services, they always included the passing of the peace. But when we did that, we did not just shake hands or fist bump. Everybody hugged everybody else. 
whether they knew each other or not. And frankly, it always made me a little uncomfortable. First of all, I didn't grow up with this tradition, so I really wasn't used to it. But second of all, it's one thing to hug friends and family or parishioners. But when I was younger, I did not care to hug strangers. Now, as a pastor, I've learned to just go with the flow. <laughs> but as a young adult, hugging strangers was just very uncomfortable for me. But then I read something that just really completely changed my perspective on the passing of the peace. This article said that we needed to remember that the touch that people receive on Sunday mornings at church, from the passing of the peace to just the hugs and the handshakes that we share, this may be for some people the only human contact they have for that entire week. And when I read that, it really opened my eyes to the importance of touch in church ministry. Even if we may continue to struggle with being comfortable or struggle and wrestle with what may be appropriate boundaries. But you may be asking then, how does though the love language of physical touch correspond with the vow of witness? When we vow to love God and serve the church through our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And what does that have to do with All Saints Sunday? Because if there's one thing our dearly departed can no longer do, it's engage in physical touch because the physical body has been shed. Now, I say this not to deny the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. I love this doctrine. The, doctor, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead speaks to the hope and the expectation that all components that make us up as human beings, and indeed all of matter and all of creation will, in the end, it's all going to be saved, it's all going to be redeemed. But in the meantime, we no longer have the joy of of touching our departed loved ones, of sharing that physical touch with the witnesses who have gone before. Indeed, it's often the one thing that we may long for most when we lose someone we love. To make the connection between touch and witness, then we then must define the word touch then in metaphorical terms. To be an effective witness then is to touch the lives of others through our words and through our actions. Many of you may remember that witness uh, has not always been in the vows of membership in the United Methodist Church. It was added at the General Conference in 2008, and it was added in an acknowledgement that the United Methodist Church needed to recommit to evangelism and to the spread of the gospel. And individual Christians, we needed to recognize that the sharing of our witness is a fundamental part of the Christian life. Evangelism is a very good word that has gotten a very bad reputation. At, it, at, it, at its roots, it simply means good news. Evangelism is just sharing the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. But when we think of evangelism, what often comes to mind are some of our Christian siblings who belong to sects who may come to our door and leave us religious tracts. We may picture television evangelists who preach fire and brimstone, and, unless, of course, you send in a large donation. <laughs> we may think of well-meaning neighbors and relatives who will start a conversation with the question, if you die tonight, do you know where you will spend eternity? Well, it's no wonder we, 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 we don't like using the word evangelism. But perhaps when we think of evangelism, we need to think of it more in terms of witness. 
When we share the good news, we're simply serving as a witness to the gospel. And we don't need to even be particularly articulate. We don't need to be great theologians. We simply need to share. Because think about if you're called as a witness in a trial, you're not asked to comment on the entire incident. Uh, You're not called to offer theories about what may have really happened. You're not expected to be an expert in criminal justice. You're simply asked to recount what you have seen and what you have heard and what you have experienced. Likewise, when we're called to be a witness for Jesus Christ, we're simply being asked to share what we have seen and what we have heard and what we've experienced. How has our faith, our relationship with Christ, our participation in a church family, how has it changed our lives? What difference has it all made? And we don't have to have all the answers and we don't need to understand all of it. We just need to be willing to share some of our own lives with others. Knowing our own story, being a pervasive witness for Christ, I think it's an essential part of the church's mission. As Connie read moments ago, Paul asked in Romans, how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And that's what we do. We must proclaim Christ or others are never going to hear that good news of just how beloved they are by God. And we must remember that we, may, we must also provide a witness, not just through our words, but through the way we live our lives. In fact, that may even be more important than our words. The witness of our words and our actions can deeply touch the lives of others. And our witness can touch the world by becoming what our, our Jewish siblings refer to as tikkun olam, which means the repair and the restoration of the world. What we do and say not only touches others, it leaves a legacy for generations. All the love that we have from God, the love we feel and the love we share and this love that we express, it goes forth from us. And it's the most powerful force in the world, the most powerful force in the universe. Our love, our love lives on. How we've loved, whom we've loved, that love is going to live on far after our own deaths. The first person I ever lost with whom I was truly close was my mother. And one of the things that I discovered after my mother's death is that death does not end our relationships with the people that we love. Instead, it just takes that relationship and all the melody and all the harmony and even all the dissonance that make up our relationships and then just transposes it to a new key. Relationships don't end, they go on. We just experience them in a new way. The first time at a former church where I ever had the privilege of walking with a family during the last illness of the mother, I was able to tell them because my own mother had passed away. I said, I guarantee you I was talking to the children and the mother. Y'all's relationship with mother and child is not going to end after your mother passes on. It's going to go on. It's going to be different, but it's going to go on. And you're still going to be able to love each other just in a new way. Our loved ones become a part of that great cloud of witnesses that is there to cheer us on, enabling us, as we read, to lay aside every weight 
and the sin that clings so closely and lets us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But in a way, we don't have to die to become part of that cloud of witnesses. We can witness to the love and grace of God right now. We can work to repair and restore the little corner of the world that God has given us to tend. We can touch the, love, the lives of others right now, sometimes by the literal touch of a hug or an arm around the shoulder, or by the words of encouragement that flow from our mouths, or by the time that we spend giving someone our undivided attention, or by the gifts we give, be they small tokens of love or substantial sacrifices that we make to those causes that we hold most dear. We often talk these days about saving all of our data to the cloud, but in the end, we do not save to the cloud. We're saved by the cloud until that day that we are saved to the cloud and we then become the cloud that strengthens and lifts all of those who will come after us in this world and beyond. Amen. And in this spirit of graciousness of God, let us then now pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. now receive this benediction. May the God of both the living and the dead bless you and keep you until that day when you find your eternal home before the throne of the Lamb. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll conclude our sermon series, The Love Languages of God. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.